John 13. John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John 13. Brady's got it up there on the slides. Uh, we're going to get to it in just a moment. John 13. I want to give you a few moments to get there. Hey, if you've been here the past couple weeks, uh, you know that we are in the middle of a sermon series called A Pathway of Discipleship. And uh, over the uh, few weeks, we're looking at uh, different spiritual disciplines or habits that people throughout generations have practiced in order to grow in their relationship with God, in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each week for six weeks, we're looking one by one at each one of these spiritual disciplines. And uh, we began the journey a couple weeks ago looking at the spiritual discipline of prayer. And then last week, we looked at the spiritual discipline of worship. And what I love about these uh, spiritual disciplines is it's just kind of a, a direct pipeline, a direct access to God. Um, and, and it's how we grow in our relationship with God, but just straight to God. But this morning, we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about how do we grow in our relationship with God uh, through our relationship with one another. It's, it's through serving other people. So that's what we're going to spend time talking about this morning, is the spiritual discipline of serving other people. And I have to say, um, I think um, that uh, just uh, being, the, the first two disciplines are so much easier. I think they're just so much easier because personally, um, I like to grow in my relationship with God uh, through going uh, out in the woods and going for a hike, right? Just me and Jesus, just me and God. It's so easy. Just go for a walk in the woods. Or sometimes I like to experience God um, with my shoes off, um, sand between my toes, um, at the ocean, hearing the crashing of the waves. It's just, just me and God. It's just me and Jesus. Um, sometimes I like to go to a lake um, somewhere really remote. Uh, I don't know, maybe think northern Minnesota. You're looking at the northern lights, right? And it's just you and Jesus. It's just you and God. And, and those are wonderful places uh, to practice these spiritual disciplines. Um, but, but being in relationship with other people, serving other people... Well, that's just messy. Uh, that's hard because there are just some people, I'm going to be honest, I don't really like. There are some people that irritate me. There are some people that frustrate me. Um, just being around other people is not the easiest thing to do. But it's one of these spiritual disciplines that we are called to do is to serve one another and to serve in the world. I just want to go and, and be in relationship with God. And so this one today that we're going to talk about is a little bit messier, and I think it's a little more difficult to do, but it's one of the six spiritual disciplines uh, that God, Jesus, Scripture invites us to go on this journey. And uh, so if you've got your Bibles, did I give you enough time to get to John 13? I see a bunch of you have your Bibles or your, uh, on your tablets or your phones. That's awesome. Well, let's pray and invite the Lord to just uh, speak to us as we uh, open his word. God, we do thank you uh, that we are joining millions upon billions of people today around the world to worship you. And God, this, this earthly chorus that is worshiping you and serving you and kneeling and bowing before you today, we join Christians from all generations. We join the angels around the throne. God, it is just one big worship service today. And we are a small part of it. And so, God, thank you for the invitation. 
that we can come and sit at your throne to learn from you, to grow from you, to gather among your people and to gather around your word. And so, God, as we prepare to read your word this morning, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. John 13. It was just before the festival of the uh, Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so Jesus sets this powerful example. He doesn't just teach about serving. He practices it. He does it. And I've been wrestling with this text all week long because this idea of serving other people, I struggle with it. I struggle with it. And so this morning, as I've been wrestling with this text, you're just going to listen in on my struggle a little bit out loud. And, and as I was thinking through and praying through and preparing for this morning, I was really kind of coming back to three objections to why I don't want to serve other people in the name of Jesus. And if you can relate to any of these, that's great. Um, but if you can't, um, well, praise God. I just want to encourage you to keep serving other people in the name of Jesus. But these are three reasons, three obstacles, three objections uh, that I have 
uh, to serving other people in the name of Jesus. And if you've got your Bibles, you could just write in your notes or in the margin there uh, three objections to serving others in the name of Jesus. Objection number one, they don't deserve it. I mean, just to be really blunt, to be really honest, they don't deserve it. I mean, sometimes I look at other people's lives and I think to myself, you know what? If they had worked a little harder, if they had tried a little harder, they may not be in the position that they're in. Or I think to myself, you know what? They made some bad decisions. And there are always consequences with bad decisions. And, and now they just need to live in their consequences. They don't deserve that I would serve them in the name of Jesus. Or maybe I think to myself, you know what? They had a lot of choices. They had a lot of options. And they chose to sp spend their money foolishly. They need to learn consequences, right? They don't deserve it. Anybody else with me? I mean, you, you see other people in need, and, and your immediate reaction is, well, they don't deserve it. There's probably all sorts of reasons why they are in the position that they're in, so they don't deserve my help for their lives. And, and then I go to the text, right? I go to the text all week long. I've been going back to the text. And I think about Jesus at that table, and I'm reminded of who's sitting at the table. Judas who has already betrayed Jesus. Peter, who is going to deny Jesus three times. John, who wrote the gospel, another disciple. Pretty soon Jesus is going to go off to the Garden of Gethsemane and say, hey guys, stay here and pray while I go off to pray. And John, among the other disciples, falls asleep. Thomas after the resurrection. Thomas says, I doubt it. I don't think it really happened, right? And we could go all around the table at each of the 12 disciples, and without question, none of those disciples deserved to be served by Jesus. But let me put some context around this. Jesus knows they don't deserve it. In fact, Jesus knows that in just maybe two or three hours, he is going to be arrested. In about eight hours, Jesus is going to be pulled out of a dungeon, and he's going to be flogged. He's going to be beaten. In about 10 to 12 hours, they are going to lead Jesus out, and he is going to hang on a cross. And so they share this meal together. All the people around the table, and in spite of Jesus knowing everything that's coming, in just a matter of hours, he serves them. Not because they deserve it, but because he's God and he loves them. And I'm reminded that service, serving others in the name of Jesus Christ, is not about whether other people deserve it or not. It's not about whether I deserve it or not. None of us deserves it. And this is the point of the gospel. This is the point of Jesus going to the cross. No one deserves it. No one deserves 
the free gift that Jesus has given to us. None of us deserve to have our sins forgiven. None of us deserve eternal life and union with God. But God comes to us in the person of Jesus and says, I know you don't deserve it, but I I love you. And so I'm just come to rescue you. And so my first objection to serving others in the name of Jesus, that they don't deserve it, it's out the window, right? If we are going to be disciples, followers of Jesus, we have got to get beyond this idea that other people, uh, they don't deserve it. My second objection to why I don't like serving other people in the name of Jesus Christ is it's going to cost me something, right? It's going to cost me time. It's going to cost me money. It's going to be inconvenient. It could mess up some of my current relationships. I mean, life is complicated. Life is messy, right? And this, 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 this person who's standing before me, that's just inconvenient. It's going to cost me something. I don't know if I want to pay the price for what it's going to cost me. It's so inconvenient and it's so frustrating. You know, and as I think about, again, there's Jesus sharing this meal with his disciples. And he knows that in a matter of hours, it's going to cost him everything. His very life, everything. And yet he wasn't done teaching them. He had one more time he wanted to give them an opportunity to know, to understand, to experience what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so it says he took off his robe and put on another robe. And as he came, you know, and he's getting himself all ready, this, is, this now is no longer the, the nice rabbi Jesus robe. This is now the servant slave robe. And, and he's got a towel around him. And he gets a bowl of water and a basin and a towel. And he starts washing their feet. Now, I don't know if you've ever participated in a foot washing before. It's pretty nasty. See, in ancient times, when you came to someone's home to experience a meal, a slave, usually the lowest of slaves, was at the door to wash a person's feet. And they did this because people were in close proximity with one another, and people had lots of funky odors going on in their lives, and if they've traveled lots and lots and lots, their feet smell. And by the way, they don't sit on tables that are high off the ground. They, sit on, they, they gather around a table that's about this high off the ground. They don't sit in chairs. They sit on floors around rugs. And so their feet are really close to the table. And I don't know if you've ever gone to a meal, Thanksgiving or something otherwise, and there's a funk at the table. There's an odor that's not supposed to be a part of the meal. And it's just like, ah, put your shoes back on, right? Or whatever that smell might be. It kind of ruins the meal. It kind of turns your stomach a little bit. And so they washed the people's feet so they could, it was an enjoyable experience. And about 15 years ago, um, I was at a church in Minnesota, the Holy Land uh, for us Lutherans. 
was at a large congregation and the staff, we were invited uh, to do uh, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. It was Monday, Thursday, and, and so one of our pastors, uh, he was going to be Jesus, uh, the other staff, we were going to be disciples. And I got to tell you, just I, I remember this is 15 years ago, and I remember it vividly because I remember going into that experience, um, making sure that my feet were clean. So before I went to church, I washed, uh, I washed my feet, uh, I cut my toenails, I got rid of all the toe jam, made everything, you know, sure everything was nice and clean because I'd never done this before. And so, you know, we, we go through the whole ceremony, you know, and it's, it's the Lord's Supper and, and Pastor Paul does his thing. And, and then he comes to me and, and he starts washing my feet. And I got to tell you, I immediately had this reaction of he's in my space. He's touching my feet. And it just felt so weird. And then somebody, I don't know who it was, had a really bad idea that after we all disciples had our feet washed, that everybody, we were supposed to wash everybody in the congregation. And if you think that wasn't weird enough and gross enough and just uh, enough, then I got the privilege of going out with a bowl, with a towel, and washing people's feet in the congregation. Now again, nobody came uh, to church on that particular uh, Thursday service you know, having trod a hundred miles through dusty, dirty, manure-filled roads. They came to church probably like you came to church, mostly bathed, right, and, and pretty much clean and so on and so forth. But I got to tell you, as I'm washing feet, um, not everybody had cut their toenails, so it's, you know, sharp things hanging off, right? And there wasn't a lot of funk, but I, I just recall thinking to me, to myself, I had no idea feet came in so many shapes and sizes. I mean, there were toes shooting off this way. There were things growing off that way. And I'm just like, who knew? Right? And there I am washing these feet. And I, they just did not prepare me for that in seminary. People have got different size feet and stuff. That was 15 years ago. You know, I have never said to one of my staff, hey, we should do a foot washing at church. I don't want to do it again. It's gross. It's nasty. But that's exactly what Jesus did. We say it's going to cost us something. It costs Jesus everything. Serving others in the name of Jesus Christ is not convenient. It's not easy. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost messiness in your relationships. It's going to cost you something. You might remember last summer. It was end of June. And uh, we got news that uh, there was this group, uh, the Wild Boars soccer team, uh, in northern Thailand, uh, near Chiang Rai. Their soccer coach and this group of 12 boys thought, hey, we just won you know, some soccer game. Wouldn't it be neat to go caving? Wouldn't that be fun? And of course, it was the monsoon season, and you, you know this story, right? And so they went into this cave. And for the first 10 days, here we are, the world on pins and needles. Are they going to find those boys and their soccer coach? And then finally on day 10, they're like, we found them. 
That's the good news. The bad news is uh, the air is running out. We got to get these kids out. And furthermore, they're two and a half miles deep into the cave, and they're going to have to go under lots and lots of uh, cave rivers. How are we going to get them out? And you probably followed the story like I followed the story over the next eight days. All of those boys and their soccer coach were rescued. How'd that happen? How did that happen? It took 100 professional scuba divers. It took 90 different government agencies working together. It took 900 police officers. It took 2,000 Thai military officers. Millions of dollars. When you count it all up, there were over 10,000 people involved in the rescue of these 12 boys. And by the way, a 37-year-old Thai Navy SEAL lost his life. Serving others costs. And sometimes it costs us a lot. And so if you don't want to serve others like I don't want to serve others in the name of Jesus Christ because it's going to cost me something, it cost Jesus his very life. And then he said, now go and do likewise and serve others. This is why we serve others. It's not because we want to feel good about ourselves or say, hey, look what I did. It's recognizing what Jesus has first done for us. It comes from a heart place of gratitude. Because what Jesus has done for me, I am grateful. I am going to now go and serve and care for others. It will cost you something. Number three, my third objection to why I don't want to serve other people in the name of Jesus Christ is I don't have the tools I don't have the skills. I don't have the experience. I don't have the background. Sometimes when I see someone standing in front of me, my reaction is, I have no idea how to help that person. I am not skilled enough. I'm not talented enough. I, I have no idea what's going on in their life. They don't know me. I don't know them. The chasm, the, the gap between who they are and what they need is so wide, I could never, I could never possibly step in and help those, per, those people or that person. Anybody with me? You ever feel like, I'm just not equipped? Nobody, just me? <laughs> You guys awake? Come on! Yeah, I just feel like I don't have the, the tools. The, I, I'm just not equipped, the skills to help that person. Well, this morning, uh, Brady, you want to help me out here? I want to introduce you to Nick. This is Nick Voyacek. And uh, Nick was born uh, in Australia. Next slide. With no arms and no legs. When Nick was a young boy, he struggled with this mightily. All the other kids, arms, legs, everything. Nick is like, God, why did you make me like this? I'm different than everybody else. There's a lot of stuff I can't do. And when Nick was about 10 years old, he actually tried to end his life. But he wasn't successful. Obviously, he's older than 10 there. 
And through lots of adversity, lots of hardship, lots of struggle, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Nick became determined that he was going to live his life not based on what he couldn't do, not based on his disability, not based on his limitations, but what he could do. And so for over the past 15 years, this is what Nick does, is uh, he travels uh, all around the world and he speaks to people and encourages them and invites them to not focus on their limitations, but what they actually can do, those things that that actually can bridge the gap between uh, themselves and other people. And he's a motivational speaker, right? And this is what Nick does. But Nick doesn't just talk about these things and doing stuff. Nick actually does these things. And so if you were to go on YouTube, if you're you're feeling really down in the dumps, go on YouTube, uh, Google Nick Voyacek, and you'll see him skydiving and surfing and, and all sorts of wild and crazy things that probably most of us have never done. So Nick doesn't just say, you're, you're not limited. He goes and does these things, things that we think that a guy with no arms and no legs could never do. YouTube is filled with lots of videos. You, you'll feel so good after you watch a couple of YouTube videos of Nick and, and what he is up to. Well, Nick is also a pastor. And he's got a great faith in Jesus Christ. And and Nick's mission statement, this is his mission statement, he says, I want to stand at the gates of hell and redirect traffic. Isn't that a great mission statement? We should have chosen that one for faith, right? We want to stand at the gates of hell and redirect traffic. But my favorite Nick Voyacek quote is this. I'm a guy with no arms and legs that God has called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's something. I love that. So I want to ask you this morning, as you're thinking about why you can't, why you're not equipped enough, why you don't have enough tools, why you don't have enough skills, why you don't have all those things to help other people, what's your excuse? What's holding you back from being the hands and feet of Jesus? I'm going to invite our ushers. Where's Winton? There we go. To come on up, and uh, as the offering basket is going around, baskets are going around this morning. Um, I'm gonna, I've got just a short video clip here of uh, Nick Voyacek and him sharing a little bit uh, about his life and his ministry. Now we've got ushers everywhere. I love it. <laughs> I want you to know that the fear of being alone and having no purpose in your life is one of the most disabling things that you'll ever experience in your life. And you need to know the answer of two questions. Who are you and what do you want? For me, I realized as a kid, yeah, there was a choice I had to make. Either believe what the world said and only believe that broken pieces are ahead for me or believe that God loves me. It was hard. Because when God says in the Bible, I have a plan for you, I'm thinking, really? 
And I prayed for arms and legs. What do you want? I wanted arms and legs. It's not that difficult to believe. The God of the Bible says he has a plan for you. Do you see this timeline? I'm eight years old going forwards into the future. No idea what was ahead. The Bible says he has a plan. We don't see the plan. So it's kind of foolish to believe something that you can't see. But faith helps you to do that. Faith is exactly that. And faith comes when you hear the word of God. When I heard the word of God, I still didn't understand his love, his plan. So I prayed for a blueprint of his plan. And he didn't come back to me on that request. And when you don't hear from God, you then start to conclude what you believe. From then on, do you decide to keep on believing and waiting to see what happens and trust him? Or do we conclude to do this? There is no God. I'm alone. There is no hope. There is no purpose. I'm getting bullied for the rest of my life. I'm never getting married. Never going to have kids. Never going to be happy. Man, was I wrong or what? And at age 10, I tried to end my life, but I'm still here. All I could see were broken pieces, and I had no idea that there would ever be hope for someone truly disabled, emotionally, mentally, uh, uh, spiritually, physically, the whole thing. I mean, on every checkbox. I wasn't myself sometimes. I was so angry, angry at my life. And I want you to know in your life, there will be times where you feel like you'll be on the edge. But when you look at the word disabled, D-I-S-A-B-L-E-D, when you turn your back on the lies like this, and you come to the truth, the truth will set you free. Do I look disabled to you today? No. When you put a G-O, go, walk by faith and not by sight, and you put a G-O in front of the word disabled, it spells God is abled to do what? Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask, imagine, or attain. What does that mean? It actually means that God has a good plan. He never withholds any good gifts. I was 15 years old and I read John chapter 9. A man was born blind and no one knew why. Jesus was asked by everyone, why was this man born blind? Now, my doctors don't know why I was born this way. My parents don't know why I was born this way. And I want you to know that we don't have any answers for my birth defect. Jesus said this blind man was born this way 
because God's works are going to be revealed through him. Jesus spits on the dirt, puts mud on the face of the blind man, and there is no record of the blind man saying anything, flinching, asking anything, moving backward, nothing. Jesus performs his miracle as he is still. I realized Jesus did not sit the blind man down and say, uh, Mr. Blind Man, my name is JC. I'm the healer. I'm about to spit in the dirt and give you a facial. And after we wipe the mud off your face, you're going to see. He didn't do that. God doesn't need to tell me his plan. I just need to be still and believe he has a plan. That's when you walk by faith. Why would you need faith if God told you everything? If I was age eight and I prayed for arms and legs and God instead told me everything he's going to do until the age of 33, you got to be kidding me. I would die of shock. Writing books, 55 languages. If God can use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet, then who can God not use? Amen. He loves you and he can do anything with your broken pieces. Here we go. There's, there's Nick today. His family. What an inspiring story, right? So next time you're feeling like, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the equipment. I don't have the tools. I don't have the skills. I want you to be reminded of Nick Wojcik. This morning, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to respond in a, in a very tangible way. And uh, Roger, I'm going to ask you to, to be my usher again. We're going to pass out um, some cards here. And on the one side is uh, community service opportunities. These are uh, service opportunities that Faith Lutheran uh, has a strategic partnership with. Um, and then on the other side are Sunday morning service opportunities. And some of you are thinking, well, I did that a couple weeks ago. And, and yes, we did do that a couple weeks ago. And many of you did fill those out a couple weeks ago, but, but not everyone was here a couple weeks ago. So if you filled out the one side, for Sunday morning service opportunities. Uh, uh, you don't need to fill that out again. But just again, I want to invite you to, to consider ways that you might get more information. Uh, this is a card for us to really understand your interests and passions and ways that you might want to serve uh, out in the community uh, and out in the world. And I'll just invite you to take those home with you, bring them back to church, and you, uh, we'll have a place here. You can put them in the offering plate. We're not going to be collecting them later on this morning, but if you want to leave them at the, uh, the welcome table, uh, you're certainly welcome to do that as well. I'm going to invite us uh, to bow our heads uh, and, and have a word of prayer. God, what a remarkable story. The story of your son, Jesus Christ, knowing that the end was near, knowing, God, that he was going to give his life for each one of us, for all of humanity. And he still wasn't finished serving and so, God, we want to pray this morning that you would help us to overcome our objections, our struggles, our challenges with serving other people in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 